And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Welcome back, everybody, to kick off your week in hockey. It is the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you for the next hour or so. Coming up, James Myrtle going to drop by the podcast. We'll have a conversation about Austin Matthews and his uh, historic run. Do we consider his 50 and 50? Is that a legit 50 and 50? Or is there an asterisk next to that? We'll also talk about potential playoff uh, matchups for Toronto. Speaking of the playoffs, are the LA Kings headed to the postseason? or not. We'll chat a little bit about that Western race of getting Malkin in some hot water. He's got a meeting with Department of Player Safety uh, on Monday. We'll talk about what that uh, potential suspension should be. Uh, we'll, we'll do some multiple choice madness. We'll get to all of that and more. In the next hour, we bring her back in. It's great to have her back. She was traveling last week. It's Haley Salvian and you need to, we're going to start this pod, Haley. Mm-hmm. We're talking about your challenges of finding your own car at the airport. <laughs> it's um so the Calgary airport, it just makes more sense to drive and park there because the Uber surge when you get back like every single time it's like 85 bucks to get home to my apartment and it's $85 to just park at the airport for a week. So it just makes more sense. However, the parking garage is kind of confusing, and I always end up wandering around. Like, I forget what floor I'm on. Um, I forget where my car is. So I just end up going up and down the elevator and wandering around the garage a lot with my little carry-on suitcase. Now, are you pressing your your key fob to, like, yeah. like oh, yeah. hump the I'm horn? Yeah, I'm not or... stupid. Yeah. <laughs> but do you ever – is it a bad feeling is when you walk into an underground parking garage – you hit your key fob. You can hear the, the beat, but you don't, but you know, don't where know where. You don't know where so, it is. This time around, I had like a different kind of panic because I parked at the parking jet this time just because I was staying longer term. I was like, okay, it's more cost effective. I'll park like 
four minutes off site. It's still on the airport grounds. It's not like Toronto where it's, you know, <laughs> really far away from the actual airport. It's still on the airport grounds. So I parked in the off site lot. And usually they give you a little slip where it says your car is in like aisle three. <laughs> I left that slip in Los Angeles. <laughs> So I'm on the little park and jet shuttle going back to my car. I'm like, I think I'm on aisle three. Um, and it was just this like really horrific feeling as we're driving through aisle three and my car is just not there. It's like, did I forget or did my car get stolen? It was there. Okay. So pro tip for you. Okay. And you're, you're a lot younger than me, so you shouldn't need this, but that's right. it is a, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm younger. Uh, I, I, we get it. Um, take your phone and just take a, a, a snapshot of the pillar that you parked next to. If, so if it says 3D or 2F or whatever. I'm take too a, proud to do that because it's like, it's fine. I'll know where I am. <laughs> don't, don't let pride get in the way of, uh, you know, knowing where your car is. And then you just hit favorite on your camera roll or put it in. The, and then, you know, when I come back, I don't have to worry. Where did I park? It's a pro tip from someone in their 40s. Yeah. Okay? We'll see. Now, I don't think you should be doing this at the mall or but it's it's more of when you're just going on a trip and you're not you're not back for 7 yeah. days. Yeah. Feel smart. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Pro oh, whatever. tip. Pro tip. Now, you were coming back from California, right? On this trip? Uh-huh. And you were down there at the what do we call it? I was texting you from the crypt. Yeah, I was I think I said I'm beyond the grave. Beyond the grave <laughs> at the crypt. <laughs> So we got to talk Weird about arena, crypt, but it's still the Staples Center. Uh, have you been in the press box there? Yep. But it's been a few years, but yeah. It's so far removed. And there was only about 9,000 fans in the building and the flames scored within 10 seconds. So it was very quiet in there. And I will say it was very difficult to stay like engaged in the game when you're, the press box feels like it's. Like, it's not overlooking the ice. It's not, like, in the the upper bowl, you know? It's just behind everything. And then it was, like, really quiet, really, like, muted atmosphere for the first period until the Kings kind of got back into the game. But I was like, oh, God, I'm not paying any attention. You call it the crypt. That's why That's why you were texting me, texting me from the game. <laughs> I was like, bored. What? I was like, "Who's? who do you think would answer my text right yeah. now? <laughs> Yeah, me. As soon as you text me, you see the three dots appearing. You're like, yeah, this yes. this guy's so thirsty, he'll just answer anybody's Yeah, uh, text. he's bored. Okay. But LA had an interesting week, Haley. They blew a three-goal lead on the weekend against Minnesota. And all of a sudden, what felt like, and I won't say it was a like a lock two weeks ago, but I think people felt pretty confident mm-hmm. that Todd McClellan's team was headed to the postseason. And now all of a sudden, you know, Vegas is right there and they got a game in hand on them. and um I mean, how worried should the LA Kings and their, and maybe in particular their fans, be about them making the playoffs? You just you were there, you watched them. What's uh, what's the issue here? Yeah, well, I mean, I, we have to look at the Kings have been playing really good hockey without six lineup regulars, including guys like Drew Doughty. I mean, they were you know they beat the Flames in Calgary, um, missing again several players, and then the Flames went in. Um, and it was it ended up being a pretty tight game. You know, Johnny Gaudreau and the penalty kill were kind of the reasons why the Flames beat the Kings, and now they're in this um, kind of mini skid, I guess you could call it. But I, I think 
this is what happens this time of year is teams go through these little ebbs and flows and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, we're going to be first in the division or, oh my God, we're going to miss the playoffs. And I think that just, I think that speaks more to how close the Pacific division has been um, this season. The Kings, if the Kings would have beat the Flames in the crypt when I was there, LA only would have been one point back of first of the Pacific Division. Of course, the Flames would have had games in hand, so they would have still been first on points percentage. But the Kings were right there. Um, again, I do think that this is just a really close Pacific Division playoff. I don't know if I would say there's a huge worry with the Kings. I mean, it's tough because where's Nashville? Oh. They've got a two-point lead on Vegas. Vegas has a game in hand. Vegas is 7-3-0 and in their last 10. LA is 4-4-2. and So they've lost three straight. So I, I just think when you take a snapshot of right now, sure, it's worrisome that they have lost three straight. They blew a three-goal lead. Again, that three-goal lead was against Minnesota, who has been really good at um, – comeback victories this season. I believe that was not the first time they've come back in that in that manner. And that's a team who is, you know, second in the central. Um, they're up there in the Western Conference standings too. So it's not like we're talking about Arizona coming back and beating them 6-3. Um, but again, this is just that time of year where if you lose three straight, it's all of a sudden whatever cushion you had starts to shrink. Um, that happened with the Flames. They lost three in a row. And I was like, do I have to write a story about the slumping flames or do we just forget what it's like to lose three games in a row? You know, it, it's just that time of year where there's 10, nine, eight, seven games left in the season. You're like, Oh my God, you need to go at least like 500 down this stretch or we're all going to pull our hair out. And, and you know what? And it's probably even more concerning if you're the Kings that they're not playing like let's say they make the playoffs but they're not playing great hockey right now that's probably a concern as well i do think that the kings are well aware of where they stand within the hierarchy within the division rob blake at the trade deadline didn't make a ton of moves and he even said like we know where we're at <laughs> this isn't our time we're not we're not being persuaded to p move out draft picks and players to go all in right now cuz it's just not our time so you know, I don't know if fans have bought into that or if fans are hoping that this is going to be another great Kings run, but um, I don't think the organization is looking at this and saying like, oh crap, like our moment is slipping away because they didn't add to their team because they didn't believe that this was the moment. Yeah. You know, I think what, what does help the Kings in the last couple of weeks of the season, if you look at their schedule, they only have one game against a, what I would say is a legitimate lock it in playoff team and a contender. That's Colorado. Mm -hmm. Their other seven games, they got Chicago twice, they got Anaheim twice, they got Columbus, Seattle, and Vancouver. Like those are winnable games, right? Winnable games mm -hmm. for the LA Kings. Yep. So now here's my next question about this race. There's four. Like I, 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 with all due respect to Vancouver and Winnipeg, I'm going to take them out of the equation here. I'm going to say there's four teams, Haley, with three spots up for grabs. Yep. Which team do you want to see on the outside looking in amongst L.A., Vegas, Dallas, and Nashville? Like you, Vegas. You, you want Vegas out? Yeah. 
just because they're Vegas yeah. and we're tired of them? I don't know. Them? I don't know. It's just, I think Nashville intrigues me. They were so fun in the playoffs last year. UC Saros is a great goalie. Uh, did you even say Nashville? <laughs> I kind of zoned out once you said Vegas. Okay. I did. I said Nashville, Dallas, cool. Vegas, and LA. Yeah. I like Nashville. Um, I think that's a solid team. I have more trust in their ability to get it done than maybe Vegas because they have goaltending in UC Saros. Um, Duchesne's having a great year. Roman Yossi is completely slept on nationally this season. Um, so I like them to make it, but I also enjoy watching that team. Honestly, I think that if, you know, right now, if the playoffs started today, the Flames would play Nashville, and that's potentially scary for the Flames. I think the Flames are the underdog in any series because they haven't done anything in the playoffs in a really long time. They have one playoff win since that 2004 Cup run with Daryl and Kiprasov and Drew McGinless. So they're, they're the underdog regardless, but I think Nashville's a good team. I don't know how I feel about Dallas. I feel like I haven't, I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched them up close enough this season to get an accurate read on the Stars, but I I feel like they're just a hard team to actually get an accurate temperature on because they've had these wild swings in momentum. You know, they're, they go on such heaters that you're like, this is an in- unstoppable force. And then they they drop down quite quickly and stay there for some time, and then they go back up. It's been a really up and down season for the stars. So I don't really know what to make of them on the season as a whole. Um, honestly, I, I, I just, I don't know. I can't put into words why I wouldn't mind seeing the Vegas golden Knights miss the playoffs. Maybe it's, maybe it's because they are completely and utterly ruthless in the way that they, um, run their hockey ops and they build their team. Um, I have no doubt that they would have traded of getting Dadanov to somebody to clear cap space after the deadline just to ensure that they could activate guys from LTIR. And I don't want to I don't think that they they did I don't think they did the LTIR stuff to circumvent the cap because those guys are injured. We all know that something was up with Mark Stone. He he did not look himself. He he is hurt. Um but <laughs> I don't know. The <laughs> It would just be it would just be kind of funny to see the whole like we're gonna get Jack Eichel, we're finally gonna win our cup, we're gonna do all this stuff, it's gonna work. It's be kind of funny to see it not work. I don't I'm sorry, I think it's kind of funny. Um I think what happened with Flurry last year just makes them so incredibly unlikable to do some to do that to like one of the most well liked dudes in this league. Like he the way Fleury was just ready to like, I'm going to play out my whatever, I'm going to be done, I'm going to retire Vegas Golden Knight, and now he's played for Chicago and Minnesota because um, the Golden Knights made probably kind of a bad decision because uh, Fleury's playing great right now, but I digress. I just think it would be kind of funny to see Vegas miss the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, from from pure comedy for sure. I don't like them very much. (laughs) But on the other flip side of it, they do have a ton of star power. Eichel and Stone and Pacioretty and like, like uh, they might be really fun to watch in the playoffs, but you know. And they're playing really well right now too. So they're catching on. Yeah. They're getting hot at the right time. Dallas, Dallas to me is an interesting team because they got a couple of guys already in hints, uh, Rupe hints and Jason Robertson 
they both have 30 goals. And, and Pavelski's like pretty close. Yeah, Pavelski's at 27 goals. Like they could have three 30-goal guys. And when you think of Dallas, you often think of Sagan and Ben, right? But they're no longer driving the bus. Like that's a that's a Robertson and Hints and some of those guys um, that are Heiskanen uh, uh, that's 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 really uh, moving that thing along. They're a more fun team to watch than probably we we realize. And to me, that would that would be fun. Um, and 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 what's weird about LA is they've the core of that team's won a couple of Stanley Cups, and yet. We don't feel like we're tired of the LA Kings, right? Like, I think yeah. it's because there's been a nice pause. They used to be successful. They haven't won a cup in like eight years. You know what? That's if, sterile. If, if, if they come, if they come back, yeah, um, that might be that might be uh, fun. You know, it was something that um, just in like doing some research on Sutter. Um, I always found this an interesting contrast because look, he is he's 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 hard to play for. We know what happened at the end with the Kings. Um, He's hard to play for, but he makes his teams really hard to play against. And I always remember, I, I believe it was Drew Doughty, when Daryl got, when Daryl was fired by the Kings after they'd won two cups. I think it was Drew Doughty who said playing hockey is is fun again because it is a very workhorse mentality. You come to the rink, you do your job. It's very like Bill Belichick esque, like everyone do your job. Um, and Drew Doughty said, you know. Hockey is coming to the rink is fun again. Then you flash forward a couple years, um, and the Kings are kind of rebuilding, and they haven't been very good. And Drew Doughty says, "People used to hate playing against us. People used to fear playing against the Kings. Like we want that back." It's like, "Ah." (laughs) what happened? Yeah, what happened? Anyways, Todd McClellan is doing a great job, though. I just thought that the I, I was doing some research over the over the weekend when I was in LA. Um, Rich Hammond and I did a story kind of comparing the the Kings Cup te- winning teams and this Flames team that's been playing really well this season. Um, and I, so I was doing lots of Daryl Sutter research, and I and I came across those quotes, and I just thought this is kind of funny. <laughs> Anyways, I, you know, I think one of the biggest look the NHL. There's this is a weird one on Monday. There's one game on the schedule on Monday, 14 oh. games on Tuesday. I, I don't know. Sense. Like, what were they thinking here? I don't know. What are the schedule makers thinking? So, like, that- a giant concert or something on Monday? Concert everywhere and every venue has a concert or an NBA game or what? Like, yeah. it's nuts. One game, Montreal, Winnipeg, which has really isn't going to move the needle, I don't think, for anybody. No. Uh, and then to, uh, on Tuesday, there's, there's 14 games. But... I wow. think the biggest thing on the NHL schedule, Haley, on Monday isn't the game. It's Evgeny Malkin's meeting with the Department of Player Safety. That's going to happen at some point on Monday. Uh, certainly, it's going to happen after we're done recording this. Malkin gets into an altercation with Nashville's Mark Borvietsky and ends up slashing him and then, you know, pretty clearly cross-checking him with his stick in, into his mouth. Borvietsky, who I don't even know if he had two teeth to begin with, um, you know, is is in pain. He's skating off. He's bleeding. Uh, and it's funny. I think if you told people, hey, Borvietsky and Malkin are involved in an incident and one of them is facing discipline, you might automatically think it's Borvietsky. But Malkin is sneaky dirty. Like, he's sneaky dirty. Like, and I'm wondering what you think. And, and I don't say that necessarily in a bad way. I, I think a lot of people like their stars. When, to we, when we do the um, the player polls in the past, I think Malkin has gotten some votes for like dirtiest player in the yes, league. Yes, he's when sneaky we do the dirty. All NHL stuff. Yeah, totally. And so, 
look, and when you do that, you buy yourself some space. I get it. What do you think this should, suspension should be? And, you know, Malkin's got, uh, he's got a pretty big status. He's a superstar in this league who mm-hmm. basically sticked a number six defenseman in the face. I mean, if it was the other way around, I wonder, like, do you think if it was the other way around, there would be a greater, dis- like, there would be a greater, uh, you, you know, punishment levied out? Or do you think that this is going to be fairly handled by uh, by the league? Well, I don't ever know if things are, if we can ever say that. I think the question to me is, like, how similar or not do we think is the Malkin incident with the Austin Matthews? Yeah. Because um, Austin got two games as a first, um, you know, as like a first time, I don't know the word, I'm blanking Offen- offender. My first time offender. education today. <laughs> first time offender. First time offender. Thanks, Ian. I'm still on Pacific time. Um, but Austin got two games for that cross check. Um, so do we think what Malkin just did to Borowiecki is similar? Is it worse? Is it less bad? And I think that's kind of the barometer um, that's kind of the the precedent we're looking at is, is Malkin going to get two games? Um, will he get as many as three or five? Will it just be a fine? Again, I think it depends on how you compare that incident to Austin Matthews because that's a star who they suspended for something that they had previously given some guys $5,000 fines for. So I think that's kind of what we're looking at. Would they have done acted more? Would there have been more – um, reaction to it. If it was Borbietsky hitting Malkin that way, probably like you're probably going to get whatever big enforcer on the Penguins going at Mark Borbietsky. If he's giving Malkin a shot like that, um, that's, or Malkin probably would have taken matters into his own hands actually. Cause he's, that's a big, big man. Yeah. <laughs> and he's done that in the past. Um, but I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me cause it's bad. And he gives him, you know, he slashes him first and, right. and then he cross-checks him in the face. And then Borowiecki didn't return to the game. There, He drew blood on the play. Um, I'm pretty sure Malkin got a four-minute double minor for, for drawing. Malkin got four minutes. But Borowiecki got a penalty on that play too. Um, and Malkin did not get called for the cross-check. He got called on a slash or a high stick. He got called in a high stick. He didn't get called for the slash or the cross check to the face. Um, I was checking the box score this morning, but I don't I don't have it in front of me anymore. So you look at stuff like that and you're like, I don't know what's gonna happen from this. Are we gonna see the blood and just be like, ooh, yeah, he's gonna get more than what Austin got? Um, it's hard to sit here on my couch. I'm sitting at my desk, but it's hard to sit here at my desk and say, like, Malkin hit him with more force than Austin hit. Um, who is it, Ristolinen? Dalene, Rosmus Dalene, excuse me. Uh, I don't know. I think he probably gets three to five. Yeah. Malkin does have one suspension on his docket in his career. It was for a high stick on Michael Raffle back in 2019. So three years ago, probably doesn't come into, I know they, they have what an 18 month uh, limit on how far they can go back on calling somebody a repeat offender. I tend to agree with you. I think somewhere in the neighborhood, I, I would think three games. I think Evgeny Malkin is going to get three games for this. And, yeah, we'll see what uh, what, what the Department of Player Safety uh, hands out. And it's not an in-person hearing, so it's not going to be – I know some people are saying ban him for the rest of the regular season. 
Don't let him play until the playoffs. I don't think that's going to happen. I think, like you said, three games seems, uh, seems about right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, uh, Haley, time for us to bring in our uh, our guest here. And technically, he's our boss, too. So we kind of got to walk on eggshells when awkward. we bring him in. It is so awkward. Uh, he is James Myrtle, of course, uh, who covers the Toronto Maple Leafs and uh, is the head of kind of ed- editorially speaking for our vertical uh, at the athletic that that is what James is in charge of. Um, but we're not here to talk about our contract situations. We're here to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs and he is the purveyor of the I say he does it. That's his catchphrase. And every Austin Matthews is going to get 50. I say he does it. Austin Matthews is going to bust uh, Rick Vives record for goals. I say he does it. And now the question is, does he get to 60, 65? I say he does it. Let's let's bring him in, James Myrtle. Thanks uh, thanks for uh, for joining the podcast. Yeah, my advice, guys, is never start something that can become a catchphrase because you'll never escape it. I, I, yeah. I tried this season not to say it, and all I was getting was people people wanting me to do it. It's funny, you know, the people who don't like the Leafs, and there are a lot of them, especially in Alberta, I find, <laughs> they really hate the I say he does it thing. Like they, they, oh. that's part of why I stopped doing it because I was getting like crazy stuff in response to it. People were getting so angry and I was getting insulted. And I was like, okay, this is just like getting out of hand. I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. Well, I will say that it might not be in this specific region of Alberta where people hate that because I'm getting it because uh, of Johnny Gaudreau. Um, said, you know, triple digits coming up next. And like all the responses are, I say he does it. So I think Flames fans enjoy it. Maybe only when they're talking about Johnny Gaudreau, maybe not so much Austin Matthews, but. Yeah, you know, people in Calgary seem pretty chill. It, it seems with the Leafs, like they, there's a rivalry there, but there's not like a deep-seated hatred that there is in some other parts of the country. Yeah. Yeah, like like Ottawa. Ottawa, Montreal, Ed, but Edmonton is like the most, the most vitriol I see. And Vancouver, on, Vancouver, does it, the, Vancouver does it pretty. No, good. I get the oh, most from Edmonton. Really? I get the most from yeah for for the Leafs. Yeah, yeah. and for Austin Matthews, and it, it, part of it I think is this is the McDavid thing, and yeah, yeah, I mean, like. What I would say there is like, come on, Edmonton, you've had so many great players. Like, look how many heart trophies ha- have your teams won? How many scoring races have your team? You've had Messier, Gretzky, Yari Curry. You look at the Leafs, like they haven't had anybody. Mm-hmm. They finally have a guy that's leading the league in goals and that's got a heart trophy candidate. And why are you so angry about it? Just mm-hmm. like the Leafs finally have one guy. Yeah. We took a ton <laughs> of heat from uh, Trade Center and not to make this like a, why is everyone so 
angry or mean, but, you know, I think Carlo was talking about, this was on deadline day, and Carlo Koliakova was talking about why Austin Matthews should win the heart. And then I came in and said, Johnny Gaudreau has a good case. And then Emily Kaplan came in and was talked about Igor Shesterkin. And people were so mad that we weren't just talking about why McDavid should win it again. And I think it just, there's an interesting case, you know, I don't know if it's voter fatigue, like Michael Jordan didn't win every single MVP. Like LeBron James hasn't won every single MVP. Like there's, I don't know if it is voter fatigue. Crosby hasn't won as many as he probably should, right? No. Like that's definitely something that happens where no one's going to win eight in a row the way Gretzky did, I don't think, ever no. again. And part of it is that, yeah, what's the sh- next shiny new thing? I mean, I, I was watching that game, uh, Edmonton and Colorado on Saturday night, and it's you watch McDavid, and it's like, holy cow, like, he's just, he's just so amazing. Good. Like the fact that there's even anyone coming close to him in in the heart conversation or the, or even you know the art ross conversation i mean it's it's th- that's like a great talking point that there are these players that are doing things that are starting to approach his level at least a little bit in in one season i i have no doubt that on balance over the next whatever the first 10 years of his career mcdavid is going to be the the heart trophy winner the majority of the time mm-hmm you know what one of the things i want to talk about is this ridiculous heater that matthews is on that has led him uh, to get 50 goals over this his last 50 games. And I find that's it interesting. 51. 51. 51. 51. Yeah, that's right. God, Ian. Yeah, God. <laughs> Let's not um, shortchange him here for the Listen, for I'm Edmonton just paying attention. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just paying attention to Josh Norris's hot streak. But here, look. Right. Matthews has scored 51 goals in his last 50 games. And I see people saying, well, no, he's not part of the 50 and 50 club because you got to do it at the start of the season. Uh, like like Bossy did, like Gretzky did, like Rocket Richard did. Um, I I kind of like what I heard on Hockey Night in Canada on the weekend. I, I thought Kelly Rudy made a really good point that if you're going to score 50 goals in 50 games, doing it in the final 50 games is harder than doing it in the first 50 games. So I agree with that. I just want to know where people stand on should we be giving – does Austin Matthews deserve to be in the 50 and 50 club? So I remember this debate, Ian, and this is here I get to be old guy talking about things. I remember this debate when Cam Neely did it. Yeah. Because he missed a whole bunch of games, right? Cam Neely's a good BC boy where I grew up, and he was a guy that that we all loved. He was one of he was one of my favorite players when I was a kid. And he gets the I what I think he did fifty and forty nine or something like that. He's one of the last players that did it. And um but but because of he had so many injuries at that point, and I believe it was his knees were were so bad at that point, he missed a lot of games en route to doing so. And it was a real shame. I remember being whatever I was when that happened, 13 years old, and just being really disappointed that it was kind of being discounted that he didn't do the 50 and 50 just because he had been injured. And it's the same thing with Austin. I mean, not the exact same thing, but Austin Matthews comes in. He's coming off surgery. He misses the first few games of the season. He has the two-game suspension. He's missed five games, and he was a diminished player the first 17 games of the year where he didn't have as many goals. Um, I think the, the, the reason why I think it's worth talking about 50 and 50 for Austin Matthews is no one has done it in any span of games going back 26 years. That's why it's special. Like if 50 and 50 was something that was happening more regularly, then maybe you could confine it to what it used to be in the eighties and the early nineties. It's just, it's not possible for anyone to get 50. At least I didn't think it was possible for anyone to even get 50, 50 in any context anymore. The fact that he's brought that conversation and that debate back that I remember from like 1992. It's amazing that he's been able to do that. And I think it is an important distinction. Like scoring this time of year is harder. Like that is a good point by Kelly. And I know that I saw a lot of stuff online that 
you know, people were making up this stat for Austin because it wasn't the first 50 games that he scored 50 goals. But, you know, we're hearing this, I don't know about you guys, but I'm hearing it a lot in Calgary with Daryl Sutter, just about how tight these games are, um, how, you know, other teams are playing more desperate. It's harder to get to the middle of the ice. It's harder to have time and space to create offense in the ways that you could have in the beginning of the season. Um, in Calgary, more specifically, too, I think they said that teams were taking them lighter, but now they're playing them harder. So it's been more difficult for their guys to kind of operate the same. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I think I think scoring 50 in the last in, among the last 50 games a season is almost more impressive than doing it when we see all those hot streaks at the start of the year. This is when it really matters. But my one counter to that is that this has been kind of a weird season in that scoring is up so much mm-hmm. from last season. I believe it's yeah. up like six and a half percent from last yeah. year. And I don't I don't have the perfect theory as to why. But it also seems like, Haley, that like scoring has gone up as the season has gone along this year, which is a little bit unusual. And mm-hmm. part of it I think is there's been there's been a really clear delineation between like the few teams that that are 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 going to make the playoffs and miss the playoffs. Like there's not very many in between teams. Mm-hmm. So the teams that are kind of like tanking or that are out of it, they're playing more young guys. They're shutting down their veteran players. They're experimenting with some different yeah. goalies. But we just we've seen tons of games around the league. Not even just the Leafs or the Panthers or whatever. There's been tons of like eight seven games and nine five Battle of Alberta's. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm back in like the late '80s or early '90s again when I look at the out of town scores some nights, and I that's fantastic. I but like I said, I'm not 100 percent sure why that's happening, but that's all part of this. You know, we're gonna have more players getting to 100 points than we've seen in most recent seasons. We're gonna have have players putting up. And, you know, McDavid could be over the 130 point mark. I think it's great for the game. I think that it needs to be higher scoring than it's been the last decade plus. But I don't know exactly why it's happening. Hopefully it's here to stay. You know what my theory is on on the goal scoring being up? And and it's funny that you mentioned that you feel like you're back in a time warp into the 80s and 90s. Is if you look at the overall uh, save percentages for teams... There are nine teams that have a sub 900 save percentage. Like yeah. nine teams. Like it's almost a third of the league isn't giving you 900 save percentage uh, goaltending. Like um, at Toronto's even, I think, right at 900. And like to me, I think we're seeing, I don't think we've ever seen goaltending this bad in recent years. That, that's yeah, my oh, feeling. I think that probably the best theory is that like the, the scorers are kind of winning the battle against the goalies right now more than they have been in the past. I mean, that's, that's the biggest reason why 50 and 50 disappeared and why it was hard to get to 50 goals and why it was hard to get. I mean, there's only been two players that have had 60 goals in the cap era. You know, there's only been two players that have had 60 goals going back to Pavel Bure. I mean, it's been, that's been a mark that almost no one could reach. So I think that if we can increase scoring just a little bit more and this year, it's just over six goals a game. If they can get it up to like six and a half goals a game, all of a sudden we're going to be talking about 50 goal chase and a hundred point chase and, and all of these kind of things a lot more than we have been the last 20 years. That's more exciting. Um, I guess, James, how would you, and you've written a lot about this even before this season. I know you've done a lot of great work on Austin Matthews over the years since he's even before I, since he was drafted, excuse me. What about him makes him such a good goal scorer? Um, and I say that with knowing like, that's not just, my opinion that's not just the stats like he's known around the league as as one of the best at shooting the puck is it his release is it you know the accuracy a combination of everything 
It's actually the the crazy thing. I wrote a big feature for us on this at the end of last season when he mm-hmm. went on that huge heater. And the thing that everyone said is that it's actually not his release and it's not his accuracy. Like there's a lot of guys around the league that can shoot accurately, that can shoot hard. He's not like an Ovechkin where he's just overpowering the puck into that. He's good yeah. at those things. But the things that they said is that his technique and kind of his mind for the game, the way that he's able to out, sort of outthink the goaltender. It's it's really like mm-hmm. a the way it was described to me by skills coaches is it, it, trying to score a goal in the NHL is kind of like a chess match where the goalie's trying to put himself in a position where no puck is going to be able to beat him, and he has right. certain movements and t- and and technique that he's using in the net. But what's happening is that someone like Austin Matthews using his skills coach, he works with Daryl Belfry here in Toronto. Uh, using the skills coach, what Austin Matthews is trying to do is reverse engineer what the goalies are doing and throw something different at the goaltender that he's not used to seeing. And I talked to some goalies for that story. I talked to some other scorers. And they said that what Matthews can do is that he can shoot from all these different positions, like in tight to his feet or out far away from his body. Uh, He can shoot when the goaltender's not expecting him to be able to shoot because most players around the league aren't able to execute uh, a hard, accurate shot from the different body positions that Austin Matthews is. So that's just a technique thing that he's worked on over the years, and he's gotten so good at it. And you talk to other players around the league, and talk to JVR and Jason Spezza, and they just marvel at how he's able to do that because they try and do it in practice, and they find it almost impossible. And part of it is is Matthews, the off-ice training that he does is – He's worked on his his flexibility and all that kind of thing with his trainer. He's got the same trainer. His name's Ian Mack in, in Chicago. Same trainer as Patrick Kane. He's worked really, really hard to be able to course, sort of contort his body into all these weird positions. And if you freeze frame or you look at pictures of Matthews when he releases the puck, lots of times he's in these really bizarre positions where he's got his shoulder up and his one leg's this way and his other leg's the other way and his feet are turned at different ways. <laughs> and he's still able to unleash the puck from all these weirdly contorted body positions. And that's something he's worked on over the years. And that's made him very, very difficult for other goaltenders to read when exactly and where exactly he's shooting the puck. That's really interesting. I like to go back with Daryl when the Capitals were in town. um, He was being asked about Ovechkin and, you know, how do you stop a guy who can score goals like that? And Daryl, you know, went out of his way to not just compliment Ovechkin, but then say, like, you know, you look at some of these young kids now and, like, they're going to pass Ovechkin after he passes whoever on these, like, standings or the the record books. And, and you know, I don't know – you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure people will, but, like, I don't know who else you could be talking about other than Austin Matthews who could already be putting himself in the conversation to be the next best, greatest goal scorer. The the crazy thing now is if you look at Austin Matthews' production, he's played, this is his sixth season. If you look at his goals per game in his first six NHL seasons, it's ahead of what Ovechkin did in her, his first six NHL seasons, which is, I did not think that that would be possible, especially when Ovechkin came into the league, power plays were at, I think, almost an all-time high for the league. He was scoring a ton of power play goals, and it just seemed like when scoring came back down, power plays dropped back down, no one was ever going to be able to approach what Ovechkin did. Now, all of a sudden, we have a player doing it. And I think that you're talking about about Daryl Sutter talking about this. Uh, you know, what about like what Trevor Zegers is doing, the way that he's able to score goals? I think that what we're seeing right now is is players are are trying to beat the goalies in different ways. And that's going to change. There's going to be an evolution, I think, in the goaltending position as the goalies and the goalie coaches have to adapt to what Matthews and Zegers and some of these other 
players are doing. And I think it, it'll be good for hockey if, if there's a bit of an opening up of what the, what the, the goaltenders are doing and what the players are doing. And that battle kind of comes to another level here. I, uh, I want to know if it's good for hockey, if we get another Toronto, Boston playoff series, James, because we saw it in 2013, saw it in 2018, saw it in 2019. And each time Boston emerged victorious, um, is this what, uh, look, is this the old, they, this is the, they got to get over this hurdle. We saw it with Washington. They had to beat Pittsburgh, right? Eventually they had to beat Pittsburgh to get over the hump. Is that, is that how this has to play out for Toronto? They have to beat Boston if they want to go deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs? There's, there's some people in the fan base I've seen and they said, I don't want any part of Boston again because they just they have PTSD from from those series that they've watched in the past. But there's some that say, we have to slay the dragon. Like we have to, this will be like, not only will we finally win a playoff series with this group of players, but we'll also get rid of the team that's kind of tormented us in, you know, so many of the previous postseasons. You know, I, I think that, I think there's something to that. The, the interesting thing too is I think, you know, if it is Boston, and right now that's the the most likely opponent that the Leafs are going to get, the interesting thing is that the Leafs would finally be the favorite in this series, and that's never been the past. It's been the case in the past. The Bruins have always been the team that was the favorite. The Leafs were always the underdog. They were always the younger team, the plucky team uh, that couldn't get it done. Now Boston's getting old. Bergeron is, you know, 36, 37 years old. Austin Matthews is the star of the league. There'd be such a really interesting trade-off there between what the Leafs are and what they're becoming, and then the Bruins trying to still kind of hang on to what they've been for such a long period of time. I think it's interesting, James. It's almost like like for for Ottawa fans, they're looking back at, they couldn't get over the hump that was Toronto in the early 2000s, right? And it took them four cracks and they went 0 for 4. Um, <laughs> and I, But I do think Pittsburgh and Washington's a great example of a uh, rivalry. Vancouver, Chicago. Yeah, Canucks got past the Blackhawks finally. I think Was that three or four series that they finally did it? Yeah. Yeah, the third the third time was the charm there uh, when Burroughs got the overtime. I think even go to other sports. Red, it felt like the Red Sox had to beat the Yankees if they wanted to win the World Series. Like, it, like somehow it would have cheapened it if they didn't. And I kind of feel like this is maybe what Toronto um, – they need and and you know presumably they'll they'll have home ice advantage. I, I know that's still up in the air, but who's the more favorable matchup? The Bruins, who have had your number, or the Tampa Bay Lightning, who nobody has beaten in a playoff series since 2019? I think that people might call me crazy. I think that stylistically, the Leafs have a hard time with teams that are really really good defensively. They they would have a hard te- time against a Carolina or against mm-hmm. a Boston. I just think that for whatever reason, the, the very heavily structured, low scoring teams, that's not, that doesn't favor the Leafs. So, you know, you look at those games that they've been playing against the Florida Panthers, like it's, it's amazing hockey, you know, like the, the comebacks and all the goals and everything. I think that that favors Toronto though. Like, I think that if, if they could, you look at the record that the Panthers have put up and it's intimidating, but I think that that would be a team that I think the Leafs would have a, a relatively good chance against. And the only reason I would say that they might have a good chance against the Lightning is the Lightning have not played very well the last couple of weeks. I mean, they've been losing a lot of games. Vasilevsky mm-hmm. has has been struggling. It looks like they might be a little bit vulnerable. But, I mean, it's kind of like in the top of the East, it's like pick your poison, right? Like, and the thing, too, with Boston is, I mean, everyone's going to say, well, you know, look at Florida's record. T- Tampa's the two-time defending champs. Of course you pick Boston. I mean, Boston is something like 18-3-1 in their last – like, they've been the, one of the best teams in the league. They've been right up there with Colorado for the last few mm-hmm. months. They're not an easy out either. So that's my long way of saying, I think that if I could pick as, as 
if I was with the the Leafs and they were they were able to have their choice, I think they would probably go Florida or Tampa. To be honest, mm-hmm. Carolina is a really hard match. Like they're a really hard team just to match up against on paper, let alone the defensive structure that they play. They're frustrating. The Flames have a ton of stru- they. The Flames have a lot of problems with Carolina. You have to be really patient to beat Carolina, and Boston's the same way. Like you have to be able to break down their neutral zone. It's I I was going to call it a trap. I mean, it's basically their their neutral zone attack is really really difficult to work their way through. And in the past, the Leafs just haven't been able to do that. They haven't been able to be patient enough to do that. And Marchand and Bergeron and all, all the stars that they still have there in Boston, they've been they they're able to play that patient approach. And then when they get an opportunity, they attack and they capitalize and they come up big in those big moments. So. Uh, you know, it's stylistically, I think that's just the biggest reason for the Leafs why I would rather play a more open offensive oriented team. Cause I think that that plays to their, their, their style. Listen, before we let you go, I do, I do have one other question to ask you about and Look, and, and rightfully so we spend a lot of time talking about Austin Matthews. It's a historic season. It's one that uh, may end up with him uh, earning a, a hard trophy as league MVP. But is there one player who you think on this team is being overshadowed? Like, Matthew's dominance is so great that man, I wish I wish more people knew about this guy. Or we're talking about this guy. Like, who's the guy that deserves a little bit more love in uh, in the shadow of Austin Matthews? Well, I would say you know the Leafs kind of get cast as this offense oriented team, and the blue line kind of people are oh they don't they don't have defense they don't the Leafs are actually a much better defensive team than they get credit for. I think probably the the person that doesn't get enough credit is probably Sheldon Keefe. And I know that you said you wanted a player, but just the Leafs are one of the best. They're the best power play team. They're one of the best penalty killing teams. Their structure defensively over the last two years has improved dramatically. And the player that's been a big part of that is getting TJ Brody from Calgary. I mean, he's he's been excellent. He's He's moved right into the top pair, played huge minutes. He's been a big factor on the penalty kill, big factor at even strength. The Leafs are a better defensive team than they get credit for. It's just they've had really poor goaltending. You alluded to it earlier in the podcast. They've had really, really poor goaltending this season, and it's hurt them. And I think that if they would have, if Peter Morazic had had a better season, people would be talking about how low the Leafs' goals against are, and not just how high their goals for are. Yeah, no, it's listen. They're, they're, this is going to be so interesting to watch how this unfolds. Whether they get Toronto, uh, whether they get Boston, whether they get somehow they get Tampa, or you know, whatever, however this plays out. Uh, this is going to be really interesting. Uh, we appreciate you dropping by the podcast, chatting uh, Austin Matthews, all things Leafs. Uh, thanks for this. And listen, I'm sure once we get into the Stanley Cup playoffs, we'll we'll get you back on the pod uh, at some point in the next few weeks. All right. Sounds good. Good luck with Haley. <laughs> <laughs> and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right. That was a great conversation, as always, with uh, James Myrtle. And uh, neither of us uh, went into contract talks there, Haley, even though that, that was our opportunity to talk to the boss. We left it out. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I should have. I should have just... Yeah. Dropped right in there and said, so what are you prepared to offer me? Yeah, exactly. You should, you got to use stay. your TSN leverage and all the leverage of your, your stardom. Use mm. it. Use the leverage. Don't hey, say stuff I, like that. We, we, we have uh, a couple of multiple choice questions to wrap it up. But I want to ask you about this because this was a really weird story that I thought, I wonder if the NHL has ever done this or Gary Bettman. Mm-hmm. So Major League Baseball, of course, had opening day uh, this week. And as players rolled into their respective ballparks, Haley, they had a gift at their uh, at their locker stall. Um, every player in Major League Baseball, and we'll call it a peace offering, uh, received a peace offering from Rob Manfred. It was a pair of wireless headphones and a note saying, hey, let's basically apologies for the 99-day lockout. Let's Ew. move forward. Oh my God. How, do, how do we feel about a commissioner gifting headphones to say sorry for a lockout? And do you think Gary Bettman ever thought about doing this oh in the past? Oh, my God. No. No, no, no. There's no way that – I would be so shocked if we ever heard that Gary Bettman did something like that. There's no way. What was big? Like the year that they canceled the whole season, 2004, 5. Yeah, you think like, you just w- gave w- everyone w- a pair of – and at that time, there probably wasn't I- like iPod or touch- AirPods. Do you think Air- iPod touches were out then? Or just like a pair of wired headphones from Apple. <laughs> 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 but that's a really funny. Like you think these players don't have headphones and can't afford a pair of headphones? Like, it's very weird. That's super weird. Like, yeah, sorry about the 99-day lockout. That is kind of my fault (laughs) in the owners. Yeah. Here's a pair of headphones for your troubles. That's really weird. That's really cringy. That's like a thing that a guy gives like as a gift to his teammates after his like thousandth game, like a bottle of wine and a pair of personalized beats. It is kind of I, I just thought, I wonder if Gary Bettman ever no, thought no about way. as a there's peace no offering. Here's some iPod touches in 2005. What would have been big in 2012? I guess iPads maybe? There's no way. No? 
I There's mean, we no would way. have heard about it if he did it, right? We would have heard yeah, Gary Batman gave everybody not, I, that's, iPads. No. That's like, no, that didn't happen. Can you imagine oh. Gary Batman? like, imagine getting a gift from him? There's, it's no way. Didn't happen. Yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it. Anyway, I thought it was interesting from Rob Manfred. All right, we are wrapping it up with a couple of uh, fun multiple choice questions. So we had uh, James Myrtle on talking about Austin Matthews potentially getting to 65 goals. Haley, let me ask you this question. What would be more impressive this season? If Austin Matthews scored 65 goals or if we get a defenseman getting 100 points? Now, it could be Roman Yossi, it could be Kel McCarr. What would you find more impressive? Matthews to 65 or a defenseman to 100? Probably Matthews to 65, just after everything we talk with Myrtle about and how long it's been since we've had guys who score 60 goals or, or how um, it doesn't always happen in the cap air. I mean, I know 100 points for a defenseman is is great too, and, and I'm not saying this is how Roman Yossi's getting his points because he's been great, same with Kale McCarr, but you know, sometimes blue liners can rack up the points by getting the puck up to the forwards who then go – and score the goal. We know that's not the case with Kale McCarr. We see the plays that Kale McCarr makes. Um, I do just think there's something to be said about Austin Matthews' ability to put the puck in the net um, at such a high rate in a time when we're not always seeing that. I mean, it's been really fun to – it was really fun to watch um, the kind of fight to get to 51st with him and Leon Dreisaitl, and scoring is up this year. Um, so maybe this year having a defenseman do that for the first time would be really great. And both are awesome. Like I, I, this is a weird one because I feel like I'm saying like you scoring 100 points is stupid because I think Austin Matthews is a better goal scorer. Um, I think just I have been so impressed every time he scores. My reaction is just like, my God, this guy's so good. Um, so to me, it's it's 65 goals. You know what? I think for me, it's the defenseman. And it's because we haven't had a defenseman get 100 points in the season since 1992. Since Brian Leach. 1992. That's the last time you think of some of the great defensemen we've had since the Carlsons and the Lidstroms and the, you know, whoever else you want to put into that uh, stratosphere of guy, kind of point producing defensemen. Um, none of them got to 100 points. And, and the fact that we might get one this year is really cool. And again, I think what Matthews is doing is unbelievable, but to to I never thought we'd see another defenseman get 100 points. I thought when Carlson couldn't get to it at his peak, I thought this isn't going to happen. And now I'm starting to wonder if Kale McCarr might have 100 points in him for, for a couple of years down the road. Anyway, so that would be my answer to that. My other question, and this is called shameless plug time, Haley. Max Boltman and I, Max does a terrific job when he's on the Athletic Hockey Show uh, on the Friday uh, show with Corey Pronman, and he does a great job covering the Red Wings. Him and I teamed up for a little uh, collab piece that dropped on Monday. We asked a panel of experts, Craig Button, Dave Poulin, Corey Pronman, Scott Wheeler, Chris Peters, about the Ottawa and Detroit rebuild, because the Sens and Red Wings are playing this week. Haley, if you could pick one rebuild, whose would you rather have, Detroit or Ottawa? I feel like we've talked about this before, just you and I off mic. And I feel it's so tough because we've seen the Red Wings move out players that you thought would be key pieces of the rebuild to bring in other pieces. Um, 
but we've also seen the senators not be able to like keep certain pieces. Um, although we haven't seen that happen with their actual core of players. Uh, I think I want to say Detroit. Um, they have two legitimate Calder um, players and and Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond. They have a good captain. And Dylan Larkin, they've got an excellent general manager. Their coach is good. Um, and, you know, I think DJ Smith's great in Ottawa. I think Detroit has their issues. The Sens have their issues. But I think when I look at some of the young players that the Red Wings have, not just on the NHL roster right now, but in their organizational depth, like in their prospect cupboard, I think I like what Detroit has. But this is tough for me because I covered the Senators. I think Brady Kachuk is great. Josh Norris is an excellent, excellent player. Drake Batherson has turned himself, you know, not just from a prospect who was really good in the American League, but to a good NHL player. Um, Tim Stutzla is going to be a good, a good hockey player as well. Whether that's a center or a winger, I think is still up in the air a little bit. I just think, and then you've got Shabbat, but. Jake Sanderson. Now, see, now I'm stuck again because I think the Senators have a ton, a ton of pieces, a ton of good pieces. But I think it's hard when you haven't seen them make the same impact yep. at the NHL level as quickly. No, no, Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm making any sense. I feel like I'm going back and forth now because the Sens have the Sens have a lot. But that's what makes it a good question. If you're vacillating back and forth and then I know um, but this is like horrible podcasting because I'm like the I look like Larry David in the like parking spot episode where he's like there you go uh, see it all comes uh, back to parking like super com- so we, we, we just, got, back we just to went full, enthusiasm we just went full circle I didn't read the story yet because I didn't want to I'm just kidding I, <laughs> I was waiting to see what, what excuse are we gonna have you're like I just don't want to read your stuff like what if no, that's, I was busy uh, this morning yeah all right okay listen what we'll do you it. think Ian because you cover the sense like what I know do you but think? I think I'm too biased because I know the Ottawa group and the players and that's why Max and I said let's go to some outside people because we know the prospects so well we we're probably too biased like we're too into it so that's why we liked going out getting pooling uh, Button and, and these guys that just uh, Pronman and Wheeler and, and Chris Peters because they they look at it from an arm's length probably a little bit less yeah I think it's just, than us it's tough because like it, you could put them and I see that this is what you guys did when you put up some of the young pillars it becomes like who would you rather have and I think as you go through some of them it's like well I think I'd rather have this guy in this situation, but then I'd rather have this guy right. in this situation. Like, do the Red Wings have a Josh Norris? No. So what you're saying is they should merge the two teams and they'll have yes. a killer <laughs> killer team. Actually, one idea I think I'm going to do for the offseason, I want to do a bottom of the Atlantic Division roundtable, you know, get John Vogel from Buffalo, Max from Detroit, Arpin maybe from, from Montreal, and then myself with Ottawa. And let, let, let's look at these four teams and, like, where are they going and who's going to make the playoffs first and who's got the most optimism and the, who's got the least optimism. And I, I think it'll be a fun, yeah, fun I think, piece to do. I think overall the the Red Wings have the better prospect pool. Um, and I did a feature on Sebastian Cosa, 
who was one of the top goalies in the draft, and he could end up being an excellent goalie prospect. The Senators have had problems yeah. drafting and developing and keeping a goalie in-house. I mean, they've drafted a ton of goalies recently with the goal of drafting and developing and having their goalie come from their prospect pool. But you saw Joey Decord rapidly rise to the pool, and then they left him unprotected. Um, you know, you've got Forsberg now, Matt Murray, he's not a – you know, a blue chip drafted and developed prospect from the Sens. But the Sens have a lot of goalies, but they don't have like a COSA. So that's something for me. I think I take, now that I'm actually like thinking about this, I've woken up, I've been awakened. I think I would, I think I like Ottawa's forward group better. Batherson, Kachuk, Stutzla, Norris. And again, I'm a, uh, and then add Shane Pinto in there. I think he's going to be an excellent, um, middle six center at the NHL level. But and it might be recency bias because I've watched him in the NHL a lot this year, but I think I take like more at cider over Jake Sanderson. And that's just because I haven't seen Sanderson and the impact he can make at the NHL level. Not yet. So I think I'm split still. I'm yeah. still split, but that was a little bit better of an explanation as to why I'm split. I think you just go certain directions I don't think you merge them. I think at the end of the day, you can you can draft and have these prospects, but it's how you develop them into pros. It's can you keep them in house? And so it's like, would you rather have yeah the sense of the Red Wings in that aspect? Max and I had a lot of fun. Hope our uh, listeners can check out that uh, that piece. Uh, we'll have to leave it there, Haley. Okay. So cool. Where are we next week? Where are we in know. the world of Haley? Where are you next month? Are you going to be able to do the pod on Monday? I don't. What. I don't know. She doesn't know. What day okay. is it? Hang on. What day is it? It's the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. What other day would it be? I'll be here. The Flames are in Chicago and Nashville, but I'm not going on that trip. Okay. I'll be here. I'm looking forward to it. All right, listen, have a great week. And we thank everybody for listening Thanks. to this latest Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We would certainly appreciate that. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus. Apple Podcast, get all of our bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's 99 cents a month after that. Right now we got a great deal on at the Athletic. You can subscribe for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.